Welcome to Global Leader Radio, sponsored by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. Now here's your host, Director of Business Development and Instructor of Management for the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, Alvin Miles. Well, thank you, and welcome to this edition of Global Leaders Radio, again, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. And we've got two of the giants in the Atlanta HR industry here uh, with us today, and we're very excited about that. Uh, We're going to introduce Tom Darrow to everyone. Hello, Tom. Hello, Alvin. And Tom will step in in our second segment, and we'll begin our first segment with uh, Ms. Pam Beckerman, VP of HR, the Metro Atlanta Chamber. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, fantastic, and thank you for being here as well. So tell us a little bit about Pam Beckerman. Okay. Well, I've been an HR leader for over 30 years, and I've worked across industries. I've worked in education and finance, uh, spent 12 years in consulting, and now I'm with uh, the Metro Atlanta Chamber Nonprofit Professional Association. So uh, it's been fun to see the different cultures and the different challenges uh, that it takes to manage talent. Well, that's uh, very interesting. So tell us a little bit about um, the goals of the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. What do you actually, what are you there to do other than obviously managing the HR functions across internal as well as external uh, stakeholders, right? The Metro Atlanta Chamber is an organization that brings the best together to help Atlanta thrive. We are coalition builders. We help the city address challenges it's facing. And right now we're working very hard to pass the transportation referendum that's going to be on the ballot on July 31st. And it will raise money to pay for projects that will alleviate traffic congestion and help us get home earlier. Yeah, that's important. It is. So what other major things are you working on in your domain? Well, I was hired, you know, to manage the employee life cycle. But a big part of my job is making sure that the the very talented, high potential subject matter experts and leaders that we have on our staff continue to grow and thrive. We're a pretty flat organization. So in order to keep people, we have to make sure they're growing, contributing, feeling like they're doing something meaningful, that they're recognized, and that they, uh, they're stimulated. Yeah, interesting. So we look at you, of course, and when we think of Atlanta business, you you have to think of the chamber. I mean, it's just kind of second nature in my mind. But uh, but certainly having you on today presented uh, more of a pleasure for me because now I'm thinking, well, there's an internal customer, too. And there's certainly the people that work for the chamber mm-hmm. who are there to serve all the extra businesses, correct? Yes. We hire people who... Um, either they have subject matter expertise like they understand water engineering or or the challenges of transportation, or they're economic developers and they know how to attract uh, businesses and jobs to Atlanta. Interesting, interesting. So with that in mind, why should businesses of all sizes be involved in the chamber? The chamber has a track record of great success they it, it's kind of interesting because we're a small uh, organization um, and but we run like a startup like we have 150 years of history under our belt but we run like a results-oriented startup and every day we're we're supposed to produce and we're either producing more jobs for the Atlanta community or we're helping quality of life by working for better transportation education 
or sustainability. So we have a sense of mission that's really nice. Well, I like that, uh, you know, improving quality of life and producing jobs. I mean, so certainly that's why when people think of Atlanta business, they think of the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. So when you look across the board at uh, a lot of the people that you have to select as leaders or at least people that work with the Metro Atlanta Chamber, uh, globally, how do companies select high potential leaders? Well, typically... Um, hopefully, people are starting with the strategic needs of their organization. So if the organization is looking to be the biggest innovator in a marketplace, then they need to hire people who can offer creative leadership. If they're looking to be the technological mm. giant, then they need a different set of skills and, and awarenesses. If they're looking to be um, a, a big global player and they want to open up a market in Africa, then they, they're going to look for another set of, of skills. Oh, fantastic. And so the chamber can help in each one of those aspects, innovative or global? Can they help um, companies to get to that point and make them strong? Well, what the chamber typically do, well, our core mission is economic development. Got so it. we're working to bring companies and jobs to Atlanta. And then mm -hmm. we have a group that works on quality of life issues, as I've mentioned. Right. Um, we also have a group that works um, to help entrepreneurs be successful. In fact, uh, our strategic plan over the next five years is going to have five planks, a few of which involve strengthening the relationship between business and higher education so that we are preparing the global workforce. Uh, but we also want to help people take intellectual capital, advances in research, and commercialize them so that they we get our share of exciting new startups. Ah, very good, very so good. So we want to establish an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And that's very important. So you mentioned working with higher education. Has, has that been defined? or is it We have a task force that just kicked off a couple weeks ago that's okay. going to freshly examine the relationship between the business community and higher education. And, and, in fact, the presidents of some of the bigger schools are participating, uh, and it's being led by John Brock, who's the CEO. Uh, the CEO of Coca-Cola Enterprises, who's been playing a big role with Georgia Tech's fundraising, and he's he's a global leader. Understood. Um, so he uh, he knows how to bring together a group of people and get them focused on results and get things done. Yeah, that's that's very good. So, what is your aspect of leadership? What what's the the most important thing in your mind that a leader must be able to do? Well, as I as I was starting to say before, a leader needs to be strategic. They mm -hmm. need to understand why the business exists, where it's going, and then be able to mobilize a group of people to get there. Right. So they need to be able to kind of understand the enterprise-wide issues. They can't just be concerned about accounting or their narrow functional area. They need to understand the whole organization and its integrated parts. They need to be results-oriented and have a bias for action. Uh, and they also need to learn how to get results done through people. Now, whether that's coaching, cajoling, you know, ordering, enthralling, influencing, you know, 
that's a big part of leadership. A combination of all, right? Yes. And yes. so in our program at Kennesaw State University, our executive MBA program focuses on teaming leadership and coaching. And it sounds like a lot of what you're describing is a lot of what we make sure to uh, influence people and help them understand that in order for you to move forward in your organization, a functional leader is great, but it won't help you get to the next level. You've got to have those interpersonal skills, you right? You really do, especially in this day and age where the, the millennials, which is, you know, the group between, you know, 24 and 30, you know, they want to be engaged, included, and, and they're very um, peer-centered. And they don't really like to be told what to do. They want to be invited to participate. And so they're an incre- going to be an increasing po- you know, percentage of the population. So it's causing a lot of senior people to have to rethink how they lead people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. A few weeks ago we had Ryan Jenkins on, who is a millennial behavioral expert. And uh, his take on the millennials was very uh, interesting. And so it's great to have you here. So over the last several decades, perhaps, have you seen the HR leader change, perhaps? Or, or are you just seeing another group of people coming in and having to make sure that the person who leads them is aware of all the different competencies between the different age groups and generations? Well, there definitely is a lot. Uh, I mean, I think HR people, first of all, they've, they've had to just grow their, their business acumen skills yes. tremendously so that you're really a true business partner. You're not the, in the transactional business of hiring and firing anymore. You're helping to run the business and the talent. So you have to be strategic and have business acumen. But then when it comes down to some of the you know, engagement programming or conflict management, it, it, you, you are a little bit of a, of a mediator between, you know, differing styles. You know, if somebody who is a baby boomer wants to have a conversation face-to-face and someone who's a Gen Xer who's like 30 to, to 40, you know, th- they would just as soon text you. Or, you know, <laughs> Even if they're in the next cube over, perhaps, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So. Interesting. So when you look at these high-potential uh, folks coming into the workplace today, especially those at the Metro Atlanta Chamber, uh, what are the best ways you found to help develop them? Well, I, th- I think it's good to have some effective assessments play okay. a role. So. There are behavioral assessments like the HBDI that help you understand, you know, the different ways that people think and learn and communicate. Uh, and there's lots of different tests like that, so you understand the differences in personality and style. I also think it's important to use 360 feedback because, you know, people can't just have a wonderful relationship with their boss. They have to have a relationship with the various stakeholders within an organization it's got to work that you know the system works mm-hmm. um, and then I think having a combination of formal and informal programs so you you absolutely want to send your stars to Kennesaw State or Emory or Harvard or Center for Creative Leadership to be in a laboratory and be with peers and try on new behaviors and learn new things. Yeah, in and a safe environment, right? In a safe environment. And then you want to bring them back and have what's called action learning. Well, they then need to apply those skills in a practical setting and solve a business problem. So there's transfer of learning. Great and then point. there needs to be coaching and mentoring to make sure that 
okay, this person's experimenting with new behaviors. How are they doing? You know, they need to be kind of reinforced for what they're doing well, and they need to be corrected when they've kind of overshot the marks. So there's, there needs to be a feedback loop and, a, and, and you know, a combination of experimentation and feedback. And, um, and then that needs to be reinforced with whatever metrics are in place and compensation because people will pay attention to things that they're rewarded for. <laughs> exactly. And that has never changed, right? That, that's still kind of the transactional yeah. portion of the transactional yeah. transformational model. And I think job rotation is important for leadership yes. development. You want to you take people and give them uh, different kinds of challenges and roles so you can, they can f- flesh out their understanding of themselves, of the team, of the business. And I think peer coaching has become even more important these days where you know it's it's less about the hierarchy and it's more about individuals learning from one another and that's shows up in all aspects of society i mean you see social media i mean we're like on our facebook and our linkedin and exactly. sharing 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 yeah exactly yeah well that's and that's perfect so uh, if i could recap assessments are one of the things that you pointed to uh 360 feedback peer coaching and mentoring job rotation, special assignments, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So now when you look at the development of high potential leaders, certainly that's from the aspect of the chamber to the leader, our potential leader. But what about those people who don't make the high potential list? I mean, they can certainly follow this as well, correct? They can, and it's a sensitive issue that you're raising. Because sometimes if somebody, you know, thinks they should be a high potential and they're they're not anointed, it can lead to demoralization. Okay. But, you know, everybody has value. In fact, I think Harvard Business Review had an article a few years ago about kind of the value of the B player. Because you've got to have those workforces. Yeah, those workhorses who can make things happen. So you want to make sure that if you have somebody who's committed, who's culturally aligned, who's motivated and has skills, that you're you're leveraging that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure they can add value wherever they are. Well, absolutely. And, and so one of the things I've noticed over my uh, short tenure, uh, you know, 30 years with uh, the Bell System, is that when employees are not picked for some of those high potential type of uh, assignments or lists, and I was one of them who wasn't picked early, what I did was I actually went and followed that basic model that you just laid out. I actually went back to school. Uh, and at, uh, luckily at Kennesaw State University, they had a series of assessments that you go through, and they do have a teaming program where you do get feedback. And it's astounding what you hear when you're getting feedback from others who are watching you when you don't think they're watching mm-hmm. you. It, it is astounding. Mm-hmm. And so the coaching and the mentoring and that kind of stuff, we, you know, we, we show that uh, those as helping relationships, and people obviously need to be uh, assisted and helped every now and again. One is from the outside, and certainly one is an industry type of mentoring. is more from an industry perspective mm-hmm. uh, to help you move forward. So that, that's very good. We appreciate that. So when you look at some of these programs, uh, uh, one of the things I want to ask is what are some of the potential pitfalls of some of these type of programs? Well, a, a big problem can come when the program isn't sponsored properly. Okay. If, if top leadership doesn't stand up and make the time for the program and stay connected to the high potentials, it can devolve into just an HR program, and then okay. it won't have the traction. It won't have the impact. Another potential issue is kind of burning people out. You know, people have a star, and so, you know, they tell them, you know, you go – 
bring back the witch of the wicked witch of the broomstick of the wicked witch of the west and they come back and they're like they're totally fried so you you know you you can't you can't always send the same person to go solve the biggest problem you could fry them and then sometimes um we send people to a big um, MBA program and we tell them um, they're important and then we don't give them enough of enough enough growth opportunity quickly enough. Okay. So, I mean, I remember we sent this fellow to an EMBA program and then we didn't make him partner one cycle. Wow. And he left. Mm. You know, so you, you have to get your timing right in, okay. in terms of... You know, giving people the opportunity to grow, stretch, shine um, fast enough without burning them out. Got it. So that feedback you mentioned too, Pam, um, is is that more focused on what happens between the peers and et cetera, or the boss, and or is that between the boss and this individual? It, it's it's it really all of the above. All of the above. Okay. I mean, okay. I I actually teach a a class at the chamber to the internal staff on 360 leadership. You, know, you you should always be leading up, leading down, leading down and leading horizontally and listening in all those directions as well. Right. So when you are teaching that 360 leadership, or is it really more from the leader's perspective to the subordinate? Or are you telling people as well, you know, even if you're not getting it, you should be asking for it? Because I know there's two components with leadership, you know, yeah. it's, it's giving and also receiving. Yeah, the premise is really that you're a leader wherever you sit, and you have the opportunity to be of influence. Impressive, impressive. So what can companies do to retain strong leaders once they've been developed? Well, I do think, again, you need to give people opportunities to stretch and be relevant. Okay. Um, people want meaning, they want autonomy, and they want growth, things that uh, Daniel Pink, in, in his book Drive, he talks about motivation, and he cites those three factors, okay. meaning, autonomy, and growth. Meaning, autonomy, and growth. And so is it always a bad thing when a leader leaves for some reason? No, sometimes it's, in fact, you know, I used to, when I used to track turnover at the consulting firm, I would track wanted and unwanted turnover. <laughs> sometimes you were really happy somebody went away. And sometimes it was just time for a fresh perspective or, an, uh, a, you know, someone who who was willing to take more risks than maybe the, the, the predecessor. Understood. Understood. So, have you? Uh, do you have any special um, examples or thoughts around what happens when you have a leader who's ready to move forward or move up in the organization, and that leader actually turns around and finds their own replacement, and and actually completes the cycle in succession? Well, you know, the most famous one of all, of course, is Jack Welch and and Immelt. Yes. You know, and he had sort of like the bench yes. and, and went with Immelt, and I think it was a good choice. I, I think it's a really difficult process because you can train your heir apparent and then have that person decide to go start a business somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's, you, almost have to, you almost do have to develop a bench. So you have choices because life is really hard to predict and control. Yes, exactly. You know, it's interesting that I remember in, the, in that article, HBR article about B players, one of the um, the pitfalls that was identified was the fact that people sometimes don't like being rated as something other than an A. Yeah, in fact, I I worked for 
uh, Kurt Solman, the consulting firm, and there were people who came from the big, the marquee <laughs> players, like the Bings or the McKinsey's, and they were kind of like, why don't you have a hypo program, and why aren't I on it, and why, why, why? I want the gold <laughs> ring. I want it now. So... You gotta you gotta manage you gotta manage all those different um, factors. But you know Jim Collins, who who we just saw at the Sherm conference, he he talks a lot about hum- humility being a very important aspect of of leadership success, tenacious discipline, and um, a, a commitment, and also sort of don't don't get carried too carried away with yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's important. So what are the one or the two, three, uh, one or two things uh, lay people may not know about the chamber? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, this is a kind of a funny thing to say, but people assume that we're, you know, that we're ideologically of the same stock. And people ah. will say to me, you know, well, what's it like working with all those, you know, kind of, Republican people who have a certain mindset and I'm like oh we're all over the map you know we're we're a very eclectic group and I think that's part of our powers we we are able to see things from multiple perspectives and and I mean happily there's a there's an altruism underpinning our decision making in our culture so I mean that's you know, that makes us get up in the morning and go absolutely. there every day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly one of the things I wanted to ask you, which, you know, why did you originally join the chamber? Well. Because they I mean, certainly benefited when they oh, got you there. You're kind. You know, it it was really a blessing. And um, I had worked for Kurt Salmon for uh, 12 years, and the first 10 were really wonderful, and the last two were not so. <laughs> and um, there was a regime change, and, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting laid off. And, you know, sort of blew my mind for a little while. And then I said, okay, what's next? And it ended up being just a wonderful development because I had an op- I have an opportunity now to more, to more uh, directly serve my community. Okay. And I really enjoy it. Okay. Well, I noticed that uh, you have a, uh, a BS in industrial and labor relations from Cornell, a uh, small Ivy League school somewhere yeah, up in New York. No perhaps? snow. No yeah, snow. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, but you actually did. Uh, uh, what was the actual um, kind of sequence? Did you do Cornell first, and then UC Santa Barbara, or was it the other way around? No, I, I got my undergrad from Cornell, and then I I worked um, in HR for a number of years, and then I had two kids, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, I wanted to use the time productively, so <laughs> I went and got my master's when my kids were little. So there was a big gap between my undergrad and my grad, and I think that's valuable because it gives you some nice, healthy have work have experiences yes. to plug your learning into. Yeah, but the biggest thing I think that jumped out at me was you ha- we were on the East Coast, you know, and up in New York, and then you went to the West Coast. I mean, contrast in styles, contrast in environment. What did you take away from that? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you know, S- Santa Barbara is just a jewel of, yeah. of a community. It's Absolutely. just lovely. And even the painters, you know, have PhDs. So, you know, you end up with sort of a, a skewed view of the world. And then we, m- we moved back here. My husband's a chiropractor, and he was, uh, was going to teach at the school, and he did for a few years. And we lived in Woodstock, right, and we sat down to order lunch and ordered a Perrier, and they said, what's that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, what have we done? But Atlanta is a wonderful community, and, and you know, it, it, it has its 
broad range of philosophies and styles, and it's it's a great place to raise a family. I agree, but it is definitely different weather than in Santa Barbara. Yeah. 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 So, Pam, what's the most underutilized aspect of chamber membership, in your opinion? Underutilized aspect. Well, you know, I, I joke around with people that um, the chamber membership's like a gym membership. If you don't go, you don't get the benefit. <laughs> so, the, you know, there'll be people who, you know, we have like over 300 networking and education events a year, and you can wow. learn a lot about technology and risk management and business development and PR. And, you know, if you come and you go to the programs, but, you know, a typical entrepreneur will go, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm too busy to go. And I'm like, you're too busy, you know, you, you can't afford not to go. It's yeah. going to help you. It's good investment. Yeah, the people you've met, you know, people you can meet, obviously, and the things you can do while you're there. And then uh, you can also, can they, can they actually volunteer to work with the chamber and be of service even more? Committees, perhaps? Or? Yeah. I mean, to, to serve on some of the more high-powered, high-impact committees, you have to join it at kind of a higher level. level. Okay. Okay. Um, so and that's not a bad thing. Well, I think it it, it is a marker of commitment to okay. you know you, you bellied up the dollars and and now you're going to take seriously you know what you say you're going to do and what you're going to be a part of absolutely absolutely well that's great well uh, there's never enough time in a day to get through everything we want to do but but certainly we appreciate you for spending a little time with us uh can you commit to perhaps coming back at a later date i'd be delighted well, thank you it was fantastic. Very fun. we appreciate thank this. you for having me so uh and we'd love you to stay with us too through the next segment okay. because as we transition from pam beckerman vp of hr with the metro atlanta chamber of commerce we move towards tom darrow with talent connections and career spa hello tom how are you i'm fantastic good to be here oh and uh, we're glad to have you as well and so uh, tom tell us a little bit about mr tom darrow well uh i uh, am a i guess discovered entrepreneur uh i was a corporate guy for about 12 years. Okay. My father's a corporate guy. And about 13 years ago, I had some friends that said, Tom, you ought to go out on your own. And I thought, well, no, I'm a corporate guy. <laughs> and uh, now here I am uh, 13 years later and started two companies and a few other initiatives. And uh, I've learned that I love to start things, not yeah. fights, but I love to, <laughs> love to start things that, that ultimately help people or improve society in some way. And uh, and you're very good at it. Oh, so you. you've got two companies at this point. You've got Talent Connections and you've got Career Spa. So which one came first? Talent Connections. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Talent Connections sure. and also Career Spa. Oh, sure. Well, Talent Connections, we're mostly known for uh, recruiting services. So we do either executive search, we place contract recruiters, we do recruiting outsourcing, and our main niche is HR. So okay. we are known for placing heads of HR Heads of recruiting, comp, benefits. Uh, we love HR. Okay. And HR loves you. So when you look at Career Spa, what's the difference between the two? So Career Spa is helping people manage their career. Okay. You know, we we saw a need about four years ago where obviously there's a lot of job transition going on these days. And they're saying that the younger generations are going to have 17 j different jobs in their career. Well, 17. 17. So that's every two or three years that they're changing jobs. Hmm. Well, who is helping them with that transition? Who's helping them not just get a job, but truly manage your career? And where are you heading five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? Where, you know, how are you getting there? And making sure that your next job is on the right path to getting where you want to go ultimately. 
Okay. So you help them to map that out in a couple-of-day seminar, perhaps? Sir? A lot of different ways. We have a two-day workshop. We have uh, one-on-one coaching with professional coaches. And we're just about to roll out some specific teaching for different categories of people. For example, uh, folks, as Pam mentioned, uh, who are entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs, we're going to have some specific teaching for them to help them uh, hopefully get from zero to significance pretty quickly. Zero to significance. I like that term. So we've got a corporate guy at heart who actually moved over to the entrepreneurial space, and now you're working with corporations. That's right. So you're more B2B, not B2C, perhaps? Or? Yeah, Career Spa is a little bit of uh, helping individuals, okay. uh, you know, where they can come to us and, and pay their own way. But, yeah, mostly we're helping companies. Okay. So um, based upon your deep background of working with leaders in transition, are there any tips you can pass along to those people who may be listening to this broadcast? Well, I think uh, my biggest tip is to be true to who you are. You know, I think too many people aren't authentic. They're trying to chase the American dream, whatever that means, right, mm-hmm. or whatever that looks like. And so I really encourage people, if they haven't already, to go through a process to really identify what your life purpose is because your career is just part of your life purpose. Okay. And and so if you don't have a grasp on what you're really here to do and here to, uh, to help with, uh, then how do you map your career to that? And so what happens is you end up choosing a career that maybe you were good at or maybe you knew it made money, or your father did it, or your mother did it, or you know some other probably less important reason instead of what are you really here on earth to do. And that's, that's something I think people, once they come to grips with what that looks like, then they can make sure their career maps to that. Well, and I'll tell you that that is a very deep question. You know, what do you put on earth to do? What do you, what's your life purpose? So certainly people like me certainly would need some service to help us with that, to walk through that. Yeah, well, we all do. Uh, I mean, I can share with you that it was about two years ago that I actually committed my life purpose down to paper, okay. to a sentence. Okay. And so I was 42 years old. Uh, so it only took me 42 years <laughs> to understand my life purpose. So I understand it's a journey and it takes people, but I think the key is to at some point get there and uh, make sure that you're really being introspective about that because it helps out in so many other ways. Now, as I go through each of my days, I can filter what I'm doing and what I'm not doing based on what my life purpose is and is this something I'm supposed to be doing. So you developed like a life action plan, and career is only one part of that, right? It is. Okay, and so what are the other high-level aspects of what a life plan perhaps should include, high-level categories perhaps? Yeah, well, I think it's different for each person. To me, that's the beauty of it is uh, we're not clones. We're uh, we're, we're, uh, people who are uniquely gifted. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we have different motivations, different uh, interests, and, and so what's the perfect intersection of all that? We call that your sweet spot. Okay. And, you know, so for me, you know, my life purpose is I exist to glorify God by generously leading others into life-improving connections. And that is, is that part of the reason why you, your name of your company is Talent Connections? That's right, because mm-hmm. I love to connect people. Now, it doesn't just mean connect people for a job. Right. Sure, that's part of what we do, but connect people to their life calling. Okay. It could be connecting people to a friend. It could be connecting people to a great restaurant. You know, whatever it is. I just like to improve things, and so that's in there too. So I like to gener- be generous by connecting people to life-improving situations. Well, fantastic. So we heard two pieces of the uh, life plan is certainly for Tom Darrow. One of them is career, mm-hmm. and the other is certainly spirituality. Yes. So uh, it, it obviously plays a large part, spirituality, that is. Do you see that playing the, the role that it should in some of the people's lives today? 
Oh, I think so. I think more and more that people are really, uh, like Pam said, looking for meaning. Okay. And uh, so where do you look? I mean, I think a lot of us have looked a lot of places that, mm-hmm. that have come up empty. And and so, you know, I feel like my faith really is the underpinning and the, and the foundation for all I do. And uh, so it, I look there first and uh, 99.9% of the time find the answer yes. and, uh, and then move forward in faith. You know, I mean, if we... Uh, you know, where there is no risk, there is no faith. So, uh, so a lot of times you have to move forward in faith, just believing that this is where you're supposed to head. Okay, well, very good. I tell you that when you look at what you've done thus far, you've been pretty successful. Obviously, if you've been around in business, now Talent Connections has been around for how long? Thirteen and a half years. Thirteen and a half years, and you can't pay the bills unless you're doing something right. Well, some people, I think, are after us to pay the bills. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. Well, and, you, and you mentioned successful, and, and, uh, and thank you for that. But, uh, you know, I look at success as all about me or all about a person, where significance is about doing things for others. And so our real goal is to kind of move the needle and focus more on significance. You know, how can we serve others, whether that's people, whether that's companies, whatever it is at the time, you know, we want to serve others because that's truly that's something that's going to last beyond my lifetime. Because last I checked, I'm not going to be here as long as Abraham or some others uh, are going to be here. So, uh, yeah. so we, we need to leave something that lasts beyond our lifetime. Well, that's good. And I want to pull on the thread of that conversation. So what is your overarching philosophy of leadership? Well, I, you know, there are a lot of types of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always liked servant leadership. And so servant leadership says that you, uh, you seek out to serve others. Now, it could be serving a mission. It could be serving other people. But if you look at a pyramid, which most any organization is a, is a pyramid, uh, you know, the, the leaders seem to be the ones at the top. But that's not always true. There are a lot of leaders that are, you know, receptionists or secretaries or, you know. So you're a leader kind of in your domain. Mm-hmm. And you're a leader with what you have to work with, kind of Stephen Covey's uh, your circle of domain and your cir- circle of concern and circle of influence. influence. And, uh, and so everybody has that. And be a leader within that, I think, is the key. You know, we can't all strive to be the CEO or president of the United States. But, you know, kind of the bloom where you've been planted. You know, right. where are you now? And how can you make sure you're a leader in that environment by serving others? And so servant leadership is really about serving others because then ultimately the water line lifts for, for all. Absolutely. So when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that typically gets to the very higher echelons of that particular hierarchy, correct? Yes, yeah, so um, thinking through um, leadership, looking across the board, um, effective leaders. Servant leaders obviously can be effective, mm-hmm. and there's lots of different, as you pointed out, competencies of leadership. So what are some of the key traits that you've known for effective leaders, regardless of servant across the board? Well, I think for uh, a lot of traits, I think that's the key, is that effective leaders don't have one trait. They have a lot of traits. Uh, one being they're very authentic that they're, they're genuine, they're true to who they are, uh, they don't get uh, swayed by the, the, the rising or falling political tides or the, you know, the, the uh, theme of the day. Uh, they're true to who they are and what they believe and where they stand firm. Sounds like they're grounded, huh? Yes, exactly. Okay. So I think that's key. Certainly integrity, uh, people who do what they say they're going to do. You know, we're seeing that more and more in all facets of life that people you know, aren't uh, following through. They aren't keeping the promises. Uh, but ultimately, I think a, a good servant leader is, is somebody who understands the mission, and it's not always their mission. I mean, when you go to work for a company that you don't own, it's not your mission, mm. okay? But you have chosen to embrace their mission, 
And so now you've made it your mission. Right. And so I think being true to that mission and having a passion for it and then uh, enabling the other people that are on the team to share that passion to then move forward toward the goal. And so I think an effective leader uh, believes in the mission, uh, is able to clear, bring clarity around the mission, and then get a team of people uh, that typically is multi-skilled, multi-dimensional, very diverse, but get that team focused on the mission. And certainly we see this in sports all right. the time is, uh, you know, what's the ultimate goal? You know, an example, last year the Green Bay Packers, right, very possibly the best team in the NFL, but they didn't win the Super Bowl. Their goal all year long was to get home field advantage. Well, yes. they made their goal. Yes. And then they laid an egg. <laughs> In fact, I'd say they laid a giant egg because right? they lost to the Giants. At yes, home. indeed. I, and you know what? Looking back at, um, at at your bio, I think you're probably one of the more eminently qualified to comment on the Green Bay Packers as I noticed that you're a minority shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. That's right. And you and I, you and I have had conversations about sports quite a bit. So tell us about that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a fun fact, of course, but it also belies a couple of things that, that you really focus on. Sure. Well, I, my family is from Green Bay. Both of my grandfathers were original shareholders of the Packers. And, in fact, next Tuesday we are attending the shareholder meeting, uh, which is in Lambeau Field. And uh, it's the first time I've actually gone to it. But, uh, you know, to me, uh, what it stands for, and if you look at the Green Bay Packers, I mean, it's a small Midwestern town. Uh, you know, it's far and away the smallest town to have a major market, sports. Yeah, smallest uh, market, yeah, title town. By far, yeah, by far. And, and yet what they strive for is excellence, and they, they always have, and they've had good years and bad years. But over time, you know, what they've uh, striven for is, is to bring the best people together, and when you listen to some of the current players, they'll tell you it's the best franchise around, and they love playing for Green Bay. They love being a part of that community. Uh, you can go all over the world, and people know about the Green Bay Packers, yeah. and yet there are only 80,000 people that live there. And that's that's pretty cool. I didn't realize Green Bay was only eighty thousand. I thought they had broken the hundred thousand mark somewhere in there, but I guess not, huh? They're well, close. They're well, close. so you've laid out a couple of traits for effective leaders: authentic. Uh, they have integrity. They have a sense of passion for the mission. Um, how does one actually take that? Because you're in the you're in the business of helping people to transition and transition well, and perhaps uh, people sometimes will move laterally. And sometimes they move up. So if they get in a position where they have to put this on paper, how does one translate some of these traits to paper and help the next person that is looking to hire them really understand that they have all of these traits? Well, there's the challenge right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think one way you do it is through uh, mentorship. And, you know, for years we've heard the advice to get a mentor. Well, I think the best advice is to get mentors because there's not any one person that would have all the traits that you want to uh, improve on or aspire to be. So I think I've been really blessed over the years to have all kinds of mentors. Some of them probably don't even know that they're my mentors. Interesting. But, but I look up to them, I learn from them, and, uh, and try to then uh, emulate the, uh, the traits that they exhibit that I'm impressed by. Hmm. Uh, then I think what you have to do is you have to have accountability. You okay. have to have some people in your life that are – in a position to know, and mm -hmm. then they're in a position to where they're going to kind of get in your face and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, here's what you're doing or here's what you're about to do. That doesn't seem in line with your mission or with your life purpose statement or whatever it might be. And, and to really keep you, because, you know, we're, our, our human nature is to kind of go off on tangents, and uh, we need boundaries. Okay. Uh, we kind of say we don't like them, but we know we need them. Mm. And so I think that accountability is, is really key as well for some of you as they develop. 
Okay, interesting. So um, you mentioned accountability, and certainly mentors can help with the account- being an accountability partner. Um, so in your opinion, does everybody really strive to be a leader, or they, they just say they want to be a leader? How, how does that work out in your mind? Because you see lots of people come through. On an average right. year, how many people do you actually work with? Oh, I mean, I mean, over, you're, over you're a thousand. Yeah, yeah thousand, thousand folks. Sure, so certainly sure. you're, I mean, so where do you see that fall out? I mean, how many folks really seriously want to put the time in and really want to do what it takes to become what they feel is a leader, yeah. what they say they want to do? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that people don't fully understand what a leader is. Again, okay. you can, you know, I'll take my wife, right? She's a pediatric nurse. We don't normally think of a nurse as being a leader, but she is. Mm-hmm. She's a big-time leader because when she's serving a patient, you know, she can do it well or she can do it poorly. And so she has taken upon herself over the years to get the education, to have the compassion, to, to really make sure that she's being the best nurse she can be. Well, so then in, in her circle of influence, she is being a leader in that uh, in that room, in that patient room. So I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a myth that the American dream is to be CEO of a company or to own your own company or whatever it might be. But But I think people, if they can bloom where they've been planted – they are a leader in that space, and, and that can be good enough. You know, yeah. we, we have this uh, feeling in this culture in America that's uh, to be never satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's, that's a long road if you're never satisfied. And so I think bloom where you've been planted. Sure, look to the future. Try to improve yourself, but, but make sure today you're doing the best job you can do today and then look to tomorrow to do maybe a little better. And, of course, make that plan. And, and then if anything were to happen, of course, you always have Career Spa. That's uh, right. To be able to help you to reconnect. And certainly uh, people don't have to be in transition to actually take advantage of Career Spa. Am I correct? That's right. Uh, we built the firm to be not just helping people who are unemployed but also folks who are misemployed. Ah. In fact, really the stats show that 9 or 10% of all people are unemployed but about 80% are misemployed. So they go to work every day, but they're not exactly in their career sweet spot. And those are really the folks that we'd like to help and uh, help them identify the direction they're, they're heading in their career and then how do they get from here to there. So it's a series of tweaks perhaps. And, and would you agree or perhaps disagree that the larger number of people in the workplace are misemployed versus unemployed? They really are. And, and to me, that's almost a worst a worse fate ah. to go to work every day knowing that this isn't where you're supposed to be than to be unemployed and have kind of a blank sheet of paper, you know, 40 hours a week to go find where your calling is and go find it. So I'd, to some degree, I'd, I'd actually almost rather be unemployed. Yeah. And so, Pam, what are your thoughts? Well, I just, I'm just feeling remiss that I haven't mentioned that I went through Career Spa when I was laid off. Ah. And, like, I was laid off on a Monday, and Tuesday I called up and I said, do you have an opening? <laughs> <laughs> and I went through the program, and it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, they gave you tr- pragmatic advice, encouragement. There was no... I mean, it was compassionate, but it wasn't cloying. You know, it was sort of like, okay, you know, here are your strengths, here are your options, here are some tools, here's a coach. And I got a job in six weeks. Impressive. And, it, you know, and it's been a very satisfying job. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm their biggest fan. Well, I'll tell you that I guess we should make no mistake when it comes to Career Spa, uh, Pam and Tom, that you don't just show up at the doorstep. And Marie Cumbest works with you for two days, and all of a sudden, boom, you're better. I mean, there's a uh, there's a modicum of work the person needs to put in to be Absolutely. able to come back with what they need. Right? Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about uh, some of those things that that worked for you? 
Well, I mean, I got up every morning and looked for a job from okay. like seven to seven. <laughs> you know, it was sort of like the discipline that I brought to my work, I brought to my job search. But I had tools and support and insights and connections and, you know, so just like anything else, you it has to it has to come from within you, and then you have to use your network. Absolutely, Tom. Well, and the thing that we love about uh, about Pam, a lot of things we love about Pam, but as it relates to her coming through Correspond, thank you for the compliment, by the way, uh, is that she hasn't just found a job; she has found her calling, mm-hmm. and she you can see it all over her face right here. Unfortunately, on the radio they can't, but you can see it <laughs> on her face that she is in her sweet spot right now. And I've heard from more people at the chamber, in and around the chamber, how much she is well-respected there, liked there, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And so we're thrilled uh, to serve folks who uh, want to better themselves as it relates to their career. Yeah, and you know what's always impressed me about uh, first meeting you is the fact that you're really not – as focused on the journey, you're really looking at the destination, too. You're looking at how fulfilled these folks are on the other end of their job search right. uh, and, and trying to connect them with their life's purpose, which is something that most of them have never done. That's right. And nobody's ever taken the time there. So where does that come from? Where does that spirit of, of servitude come from in, uh, you know, for Mr. Tom Darrow? Well, for me, it comes from my faith. It comes from my, uh, I think, upbringing, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He owned a drugstore in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And back then, the drugstore was a place you went for not just drugs, but for just about everything. For everything. And yeah. they had an old-fashioned soda fountain where people would come in and just network and socialize. And, and uh, So he was a big giver, and he gave back. Uh, uh, you know, people give, but there's sacrificial giving, and that's when you give until it hurts. Right. Uh, now, it might hurt you, but might really benefit someone else. And okay. so we all have time, talent, and treasure and I think if we be intentional about it, we can really give beyond where we're giving right now and really help the world uh, be a better place. Yeah, and you know, that, that transactional type of, um, I guess, the way people look at how we relate to others is more transactional. You know, I'll give to you when you give to me. Uh, you know, that uh, has not seemed to work for most people. Well, and I think the challenge is, is that you have to give without expecting anything back. I mean, that's a true gift. Okay. Uh, you know, otherwise it's called marketing or, okay. or sales, or, <laughs> right? That, that's when you do something expecting to get something back. But, uh, but I think giving and just saying, hey, here it is, and, and I'm thrilled to share it with you. Hope it works for you, but not expect anything back. Now, it's nice to get a thank you back, right. but you're not expecting that thank you or expecting anyone to do something else. Kind of like loans versus gifts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whenever uh, my daughters ask me for a loan, I typically hear gift because <laughs> I don't expect to get it back. And when I do every now and again, it is a great thing. Okay, so. Good analogy. So, so Tom, when you look across the board, and also for you too, Pam, how important is for employees um, and leaders of organizations to be lifelong learners? Oh, it's essential. It's essential, especially since we live in a society that's kind of changing before our eyes in terms of technology and communication and music. And I mean, think about how you used to um, learn how to play chess. You know, you would read a book or take a class, and now you can look at a YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> yes, incredible. So, Tom, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think back to my uh, college days, and I actually have a degree in accounting. Hmm. Well, how much do I use that these days? Not not a whole lot. But more so, I, I chose the university I chose because they weren't just a great business school, an accounting school, but they really taught you how to live. And they taught you the intersection of, of you know, kind of your intellect, 
but your values, your ethics, your spirituality, and all of that. And, in fact, one of our famous uh, football coaches at one, one point, Lou Holtz, used to say that you go to Notre Dame not for a four-year degree, but for a 40-year degree. 40-year. 40-year. And so uh, you know, it's really how do you uh, be a leader, not just in the workplace, but in church, in your family, you know, in any grouping of people you can be, and maybe even one-on-one. I mean, sometimes one-on-one you have to be the leader to help that other person walk through something. Ah. And uh, so, you know, showing up as a leader, uh, you have that opportunity every day. Yeah, very good, very good. So, Tom, how do you determine the leadership style of an organization's team or hiring manager so you can help make a decision whether a job opening might be a fit for that individual? Well, we see this and teach this in Career Spa, and, and it's really talking to people who have been in and around that person or that organization. You know, we've seen this a lot with uh, well-known leaders. You know, Mm -hmm. their reputation kind of precedes them, Ah. right? And uh, so you can find out by, I mean, nowadays with social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, there are a lot of ways to find out information about people, companies, their leadership, their culture. I think the key is to start in and and ask. You know, when you think about uh, uh, culture of an organization, most companies can tell you what their culture used to be. Mm-hmm. They can tell you what today's culture is, but very few can tell you what tomorrow's culture hopefully is going to be. Interesting. And yet that's where you're going to work. You're going to work for tomorrow's culture. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you understand the leaders of that organization, the mission of the organization, you can at least start to get some insight in terms of what their future culture is going to be and then assess whether that's a good fit for you or not. Okay. Okay. So how do folks continually work with you? I mean, if anybody listening to this broadcast today, how would they actually connect with Talent Connections? Yeah, well, uh, with either Talent Connections or Career Spa, I mean, they'd be more than welcome just to contact me directly. And okay. uh, depending on their specific situation, and that's the beauty of what we try to set up. It's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, we try to work with every person, meet them where they are, with their skills, their their network, and their reputation. And to us, that's really the, the key three ingredients to elevating your career is where are your skills, where's your network, and where's your reputation, and how can we help you advance that? To get to the, where it needs to be. And there may be a couple of blind spots that folks are not aware of, and that you help them with the tools to understand that to be a complete leader, authentic leader, there's some things that you perhaps may need to develop. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. So can you share a couple of your favorite leaders, either from personal interaction or a favorite historical figure, and why? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. Well, uh, Billy Graham comes to mind. Uh, I think, again, back to being authentic. Um, he had a mission, and he didn't care what other people said about it. He was, was going to go after it, and then he was true to it through the years. Um, in sports, I was always a huge fan of Jack Nicklaus, and I love Jack Nicklaus because he, he had a goal, and he would set out, and they would interview all the other players before the Masters, and they would say, well, yeah, my game's okay, and yeah, maybe I have a shot. And then he'd interview Jack Nicholas, and he would pretty much say, you know, I, I plan to win. I'm here to win. <laughs> so he, uh, he had his eye on the prize, as they say. And, uh, and when he lost, he did it very graciously. I mean, you look at some of the times he lost to Tom Watson or Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, or others, and he was a true gentleman. And, uh, and I always thought that, that that's what the game of golf is all about, and to me that's what life is all about is, is you compete to win. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Losing or coming in second place, that's not, not so bad either if you gave it your best. But then when someone else wins, you need to congratulate them. And, uh, and move on and try to win next time. Yes, my understanding is that uh, Jack Nicholas also hold the, held the record for the most number two 
finishes. That's right. Uh, in PGA history, too. That's right. Uh, maybe off by one or two, but certainly I understand he was very, obviously very good. Yeah. So same with you, Pam. Uh, can you share uh, perhaps a couple of your favorite leaders, either from sure. personal interactions or historical? Yeah. I mean, unexpectedly, one of my, f- one of my favorite leaders of all time is Eleanor Roosevelt. Ah, because she was courageous. She was a forthright woman who you know, went into the coal mines when her husband couldn't and fought for social change on a, a, a national and a global scale. And she has these cool sound bites. You know, <laughs> like, you know, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. That might not have even been her, but I mean, she's got all these great quotes. Um, and then, of course, you know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, you know, the ability to, to change a whole society using nonviolence and being that disciplined and that insightful and that um, spiritual. Yeah, Very spiritual. powerful. Yeah, so, uh, and I know Tom being a servant leader is something that, uh, that you've said over and over again to me, and I've... I certainly uh, agree with you that servant leadership is a very powerful form of leadership. So if I were to ask you who's, the, in your mind, the perfect example of a servant leadership, who would you say? Well, uh, a lot of people. Okay. Uh, certainly Jesus Christ was the most uh, famous example. But I think locally, uh, True Cathy okay. comes to mind, the uh, founder of Chick-fil-A. Uh, just truly uh, has built a culture on servant leadership and giving back to the community that they serve. Uh, you know, it's not all about the chicken uh, there at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but there's a so lot of chicken. There's a lot of chicken. <laughs> but uh, it's really about serving others. Well, good stuff. Well, you know, one of the things about Global Leader Radio is that um, we discuss ideas that matter with people who care. And certainly you're very passionate leaders, and you've, uh, you've worked with people across the domestic as well as the global landscape. Uh, one of the things we like to be able to do is to inform our learning community, those people who are either on LinkedIn, Facebook, or happen to be listening to us live as we're talking now on Internet radio, uh, which leadership book has most informed your leadership today? So because the ladies first, uh, we want to allow Pam to give us her thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned Jim Collins earlier. I think his Good to Great book is a really powerful book. And True then classic, he, huh? Yeah, that's a good one. And then um, Cotter, K-O-T-T-E-R, he wrote a book, and I think it was called Managing Change. He's a Harvard professor, and okay. his approach to change management, I think, is very powerful. Okay, so you're looking at change management and also Good to Great, looking at what, what are those things that make companies uh, really stand out. Right, because... In order to be a leader over time, you have to have some methodologies and disciplines and passions that enable you to reinvent yourself and and um, harness harness the talent within your within your walls. Now, I love the way you you put those two together. You know, you look at it over time, and then also having to reinvent yourself. So that's great, Tom. What are your thoughts? What leadership book has most informed? your personal leadership? Well, one that comes to mind is uh, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And if the listeners have not read that book, I can save them a lot of time. Uh, They don't have to read the book. They just have to read the first sentence of the book. (laughs) And the first sentence is, it's not about you. Hmm. And I read that, and about three hours later, I went on to the second time, <laughs> and then I came back to that one. Uh, so to me, that's that's about servant leadership and about what life's all about. It's not about you. 
So it's not about you. So great. So we've gotten um, some very good tips today, very good understandings of what the people in our audience and our learning community really needs to know about cultivating high-performance leadership. But we've got someone who uh, certainly is doing it for the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, working with internal stakeholders as well as external stakeholders, those businesses that should be involved in in the chamber. And if they're not in the chamber today... They should be, right? Absolutely. And uh, certainly you've got a big referendum coming up. Yes. Please educate yourself about this referendum that's going to be on the ballot July 31st. You can go to www.ontieatlanta.com or you can go to the Atlanta Regional Commission site, which is you know www.atlantaregional.com. It's got a lot of information on the 157 projects that we're going to be voting on. 157. It's going to be really important that we invest in the infrastructure that we need for for our future, so we need to vote yes. Well, thank you, Pam. Uh, we also have, um, we'll have your information as well as Tom's on our blog, and certainly uh, people would love to know how to get in contact with you. And so I know that um, that we have it there, but certainly if you have a moment, you'd love to be, be able to give out your contact information. Oh, oh sure. I'm at pbeckerman at macoc.com. Ah, thank you. And so then we move over to Tom Darrow, distinguished gentleman from Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> so, Tom, how can people get in contact with you? Sure. Uh, either calling me at 770-633-5242. Or Tom Darrow at talentconnections.net. Oh, great. Well, again, thank you both for being here. Thank and you. We, we, We've got to have you back again. You know how it is when, when you only have a limited amount of time. You've got to really kind of get to the essence of it, right? So we've got a chance to know you both personally and professionally. And we're looking forward to having you back again. So with that, we're going to end this edition of Global Leader Radio. And remembering that we're here to help our learning uh, community to understand that we are discussing ideas that matter with people who care. So continue to keep in touch with us because we'll be looking to keep in touch with you. Thank you. Global Leader Radio is brought to you by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University. Take charge of your personal development and professional career today by learning more at ksuemba.com. And join us next week as we discuss ideas that matter with people who care.